Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. See, I got the show name right this week. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And uh, the last time we recorded, the Mets lost two of three to the Reds, and things looked impossibly dark. Well, the Mets have taken four of the last seven games since we recorded. Um, not exactly a world-beating stretch of baseball, but they split a series with the Nationals and then took two of three from the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. There was a lot of stuff that happened over the course of these seven games, but I think an important place to start is just that the last two games, and that would be the last two games of the Rays series, the team just seemed to have some spunk and some resiliency that hadn't been there all season. And I kind of felt that way yesterday, even before the the um, the second home run in the game, the Alvarez home run. The team just seemed better positioned. Uh, part of that was the Senga start, obviously. But I, I want to hear from you, Chris. You know, we do our vibe check every week. Do, do the vibes feel different on Thursday night than they did on even uh, Wednesday morning? Oh, yeah. I'd say they absolutely do. I think I texted somebody right after the game ended last night. The Mets are back. And I really did feel that way. I don't think they're as bad as they've been for the last month. And, uh, yeah, they so badly needed a game like the win, uh, you know, on Wednesday night. <clears throat> and and just to get that and, and you know, have everything you could have in a, in a game in 2023 in terms of adversity, uh, falling behind again, tying the game, falling behind even more. Uh, and, and then Francisco Alvarez hitting maybe the most clutch Mets home run of the last, uh, what year or so? Probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know that they, they had some, uh, good comeback games in, in 2022, but, uh, to to do all that and then get into the tenth inning and have the bullshit free runner inning turn into a two run inning, um, and still come back in the bottom of that inning and win the game, just uh, any win would be nice. But they had not had a win like that this season, so yeah, I, I think the mood changed dramatically because. Uh, not losing the series to the Nationals is certainly a step in the right direction compared to losing a series to the Reds before that and really not having taken advantage of a weak schedule over the last few weeks. But still, all right, you split a game with the Nationals. That doesn't feel great. It's, right. Uh, it, you know, treading water, essentially. So, uh, yeah, that Wednesday night game felt significant. Pete Alonso. Uh, there was never any doubt about what LFGM stood for, but he made it very clear. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> in the stadium and on air. And uh, Steve Gelbs just, I, I loved his awkward reaction to it. Yeah. All right, Gare. <laughs> just <laughs> completely, completely uh, befuddled, I guess would be the word. Uh, so yeah, I. there's still a lot of work to be done, but there is just some life in this team now. And for weeks, it felt like there wasn't, you know, those podcasts we did early in the season where it was like, all right, 
they had one bad series in Milwaukee, but overall things are going fine. Those felt like they happened years ago yes. by the time we recorded last week. And I, I was dreading recording this week because I was just going to be out of things to say. But thank you to the Mets for turning things around in a very dramatic way. Yes, we appreciate it very much, Mets. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I, a couple of things I wanted to add to what you were talking about. Uh, Kodai Senga started the game last night at 12 strikeouts over six innings and looked really good. Just, you know, looked as as advertised at the beginning of the season. You know, this guy could potentially be an ace for you. And to have that kind of a start against such a good offensive team just must have been a huge boost for his confidence and also for the confidence of I mean the entire team right I mean you when you when, when you go toe-to-toe with the best in baseball and you come out you know winning two out of the three games and you do so with just with a flair for the dramatic you have to be going into the next game the next series just feeling like fuck yeah we did it we can do this and Senga started that tone off right with just that really, really great performance last night. And, you know, I I don't think that it is fair to say that Senga has been a disappointment because I think that's overstating just about everything about him <laughs> thus far. But I do think that there's a history of Japanese starting pitchers taking a while to adjust to the schedule that pitchers, that starting pitchers throw in the majors in the U.S., where instead of throwing essentially once a week or once every six days, you know, they're expected to throw every five days. And no matter how much you think you're ready for that, until you've been doing that for a little while and your body is now used to the the rhythm, it's going to be tricky. So I think it's great for Senga as a confidence booster to just be that dominant pitcher. It's great for the Mets to see what he can be, but no one should be upset if Senga's next start is not brilliant like that because it's going to take him a while to adjust. But seeing him throw like he did last night, I, I do feel like that adjustment is coming sooner than later. Um, that's that's excellent. That's great to see. And we we talked, you know, last week uh, I made a case for calling up Vientos and Chris made a case for bringing up Mauricio, and we sort of decided not quite with a coin flip, but almost with a coin flip before the show, who was going to sort of advocate for each person. And, you know, it's just nice to see the Mets make a move like that and it instantly pay off for them. You know, uh, the Enthus hitting a home run last night just felt like a, you know, something out of him. I mean, Senga said in the post-game interview through his translator that three home runs to win a game sounds like it's from a movie. And he's not wrong. It definitely did sound that way. But especially when one of those is the rookie that you just called up that day. It just, it feels really special. And again, Vientos is going to struggle and the Mets are going to struggle to get him playing time. But if he can contribute while he's up here, again, just the confidence of we called up our three best prospects within the first seven weeks of the season and all of them are contributing. That's a, that's a great feeling to have. And, and that also probably in some ways takes some pressure off of guys like Eduardo Escobar who all of a sudden in a limited role is starting to hit again. Uh, it probably takes some pressure off of your, um, you know, it just, it just makes the team that much deeper and, and gives you more options. Now, unfortunately those, that playing time comes at the expense of some other players. We should mention that Luis Guillerme was optioned to triple a to make room for Vientos. And 
I think that that is a I, I understand why the move was made, right? He had an option available to him, but it leaves the team without a real backup shortstop. And I think that Luis Guillerme is more important to this team than Tommy Pham is and possibly more than Eduardo Escobar is. But I understand why at this point in the season that was the move to make. Uh, what do you think of the demotion to Guillerme? Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, I, I get it. And I know if something were to happen and they had to use an emergency shortstop, uh, you could throw somebody into that spot, but it came up on the broadcast a bit, either during the game today or last night. Uh, just okay, it, that scenario is one thing, but Buck Walters talked about wanting to get uh, sorry, getting Lindor a day off, and now you really can't do that. Uh, I don't know how you go into a game with Escobar or, or maybe McNeil at shortstop with like a straight face. Right. Um, you know, it'd be a little bit different if they called up Mauricio where you're saying, look, he he's played shortstop most of his minor league career. Um, we know he's not an above average defender there, but he's familiar with the position and we're willing to sacrifice defense, uh, which QRMA is obviously an expert at in the name of offense, hoping that Mauricio adds some power to your lineup, but since it's not him and it is Vientos, um, I would much rather have had the move been either Vogelback or Fam, um, and you'd have to DFA those guys. And look, I I don't think that those guys are useless, but I do think the Mets had to do something. Um, and I just would have kept Guillaume around because. I don't know. I mean, Escobar getting some time at second is probably not the end of the world. It's probably still his best defensive position right now. Mm-hmm. And and like, I love Escobar. He's nothing other than a, a likable player. Um, I think I, I always get a little more attached to guys who struggle and get hated on by Mets fans and then <laughs> kind of bounce back from that the way he did last year, you know, in finishing the season strong. Um. And he, he's handled the Brett Beatty situation with absolutely nothing but class from the start of spring training until he actually got called up and took his job, you know, throughout that process. However, he might feel privately about this stage of his career and his place on this roster. Uh, everything he has said publicly has been perfect yep. on the nose, perfect teammate, perfect mentor, all, all that stuff. Um, it, so yeah, that said, uh, I get, I get that he, you know, he's he's good in the clubhouse. He's good with his teammates, uh, and and that cannot be everything that goes into your decision. But he has twice as many home runs as Volgaback right now, and you know that's not everything that goes into hitting. But that's really what the Mets need Volgaback to do. And Escobar has hit more home runs than him in you know, 20 something fewer plate appearances. Um, so I think there's some, there's more versatility there with him. You know, it's funny. Uh, the National League gets the DH. The Mets have two players and now three really with Vientos who are really DH type right. players. Um, and 
not everybody's going to have the versatility to be a capable major league bat and play four different positions in the field. That's, that's pretty rare. Some teams have multiple guys who are like that. Most have one or none. Uh, so it's not like the Mets are alone in that regard, but um, yeah, long answer to just say, I would rather have Guillaume's defense available. <clears throat> and I think I, I may have said that before they called up Vientos. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week. I might've said, I, I'd like that Guillaume could be there for defense because if it was Mauricio who was up, you could have him start games at second and then you could, you know, get him the hell out of there. Right. If you had a lead uh, and you wanted a massive upgrade on defense. Um, also gives you more flexibility with McNeil. So part of that is is definitely uh, not happening because Guillaume is not here to, you know, to to be able to play second base. Uh, but they have used McNeil in the outfield. Yes, which is which is good. Um, but yeah, I hope Guillaume is back sooner rather than later. Uh, I don't know that there's a sensible way to trade fam or Vogelback if Vientos kind of shows you that he can be your DH. I think um, you just have to cut fam is what it comes down to. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, being that they're both right-handed hitters and yes, yes. Uh, also, I, I always appreciate the chubby baseball player. So uh, Vogelback has a special place in my heart for that. Hey, hey nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah. also I, I just think that Vogelback, I mean, granted, he's not having a great season thus far, but the things that Vogelback can do when he is going right, there's no one else on the team as is currently constructed who really does what he does. In the combination of the the really good eye at the plate, the absolute murdering of right-handed starting pitching, like that, that just there's nobody on the team who is as much of a righty masher as he is. And so I would give him a longer leash than I would Fam, because Fam is a not great outfielder on a team that already has a bunch of outfielders. He's right-handed on a right-handed dominant team. You know, I just, I, I, I feel like there is, there is less reason to, and also, and this is probably unfair because I've never met either man, nor have I been in a clubhouse with either man, but you, you hear like, as soon as uh, Vogelback came to the team, all you heard is what an excellent teammate he was. And when the Mets signed Fam this offseason, all you heard was what a weird guy Fam was. And so I don't think the clubhouse chemistry matters nearly as much as, say, many beat writers think it matters. But I do think if your choice is, like, if there's similar production between a guy who everyone is kind of uh, leery around versus somebody who everyone loves, if all other things are equal, I would vote for the chemistry guy. Um, and maybe that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but... Um, yeah, so I, I do think that eventually Tommy Pham is going to no longer be on this team when I don't know if it's going to happen as soon as, you know, because Guillermo has to be down for, I think it's 15 days, right? I think unless, 10 for a position. Oh, player. 10, so 10, 10 for a position player, 15 for a pitcher, yes. So unless there's an injury or something that, that necessitates his return. So I, I don't know if that necessarily happens in, in 10 days when he can come back. Or if it happens, uh, you know, just in a month or two from now. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I do think that I'm having Vientos and Fam on the on the roster is probably a bit much. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it, and while they're in this configuration, I would like to see uh, Shell Walter be a little more aggressive or just a little bit better even at deciding when to use the guys who are on the bench because DH baseball doesn't – you you never have to. You can just stick with the guys you start. But I don't know. Maybe this comes from watching two full seasons of Liverpool soccer where substitutions are just a completely necessary part of a game, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Um, but like a, a game like this afternoon – and granted they won, but he he really didn't go to anybody on the bench – um, and, and I don't know. It's not always just about a platoon advantage. I mean, with with a guy like Vogelback, it has to be. Sure. Um, you know, but you 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 have Alvarez and Vientos on the bench today, and you don't use either one at all. Um, you know, a game that was close throughout. I, I think there were probably some opportunities there where. Like, I, kn- I know it's the Rays, so the lineups were being justified as like, oh, well, the Rays do all this weird stuff early in games, and then they switch over to their bullpen. But in today's game, there was no adjustment to that. Right. And most teams don't um, operate like the Rays. So I, I don't expect that'll come up again unless uh, the Rays and Mets end up in the World Series against each other. But I'd just like to see a little bit more... Um, use of those bats if, if you're starting guys who are not as good uh, as the ones you have on the bench i'd like to see those guys get into the game late you know yes uh, and and i think that's a valuable thing too especially since those two in particular are young players um there will be day, days when hopefully they have long major league careers and they don't get sent back to the minors at all but there will be days that come up where they don't start, but you're going to send them up there to hit for somebody. Right. Um, I mean, so I'll, I think- I'll, I'll even take it a step further. I hope that the show Walter is, is more aggressive and weird with how he gets them to start games as well. Like for instance, I don't, while you definitely don't want to have Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos starting every day in left field for you. I think you can probably get away with those guys starting one game a week in left field to get one of their bats in the, in the game. And is that great? No, no, it's not. But I would feel better with their bats in the lineup than I would with having, um, for instance, Tommy Pham in the lineup. Right. Yeah, no, there's uh, it. You just look at which of these guys do you think is going to be the most likely to be helping you in August, September, and hopefully October. Right. And and I think it's it's gonna be those guys. Um, but yeah, I, I staying on brand here. You know, I, I tend not to get too uh, upset over anything on a day to day basis. Uh, and over the last few weeks, we've seen uh, skepticism about how Beatty and Alvarez would play, and they are both clearly starters at their yep. positions now. Um, you know, so I think sometimes it is just a little bit about patience. Um, but the weird fit thing needs to resolve itself. And it, it like, look, it's, it's not just the Mets, it's baseball. Somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and at that point, then you, you don't have to make a decision. Um, you know, Francisco Alvarez is getting this opportunity because Omar Narvaez was hurt. And then 
you know, he, he took over the starting job before Tomas Nito even went on the injured list. Right. But um, these things happen in baseball fairly frequently. Well, let's talk about the catching situation since you went there. It, it, there's a lot of weird pieces to this catching situation right now. Uh, so Tomas Nito is on the injured list with a um, an ailment that I think both you and I sort of, sort of thought was a, was a bullshit phantom IL situation. But no, he had uh, he had uh, I mean, what's right? punctal plugs inserted into each eye. I don't quite know what that entails, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to have plugs put in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, it, it backed up the reason they put him on the injured list. So I will I will acknowledge uh, and apologize to Tomas Nito and anyone who who knew the deal. But it just sounded like bullshit at the time. But um, you know, I think we did not remember that he had LASIK surgery. And apparently in writing about it uh, this week, Anthony Tucumo had said that this dry eye stuff can be a side effect that comes up years after you have LASIK. So, uh, you know, a more detailed explanation, but it all sounded like it really was having an uh, impact on his vision. Um and look, I hope he's, you know, I, I hope uh, he's feeling well and, and ready to get back on the field uh, as soon as possible. But whether or not that means he should make it back to the Mets Major League roster right away is a different question. Right. Does Nito have options left? I don't believe so. Does he? I think he's played too long to be able to. Uh, I think so. Yeah. To, to even do that at this point um, without his approval. But he's he's out of options anyway, according to Fangraphs. So, you know, they signed him to a three point seven million dollar two year deal that just covered his last two years of arbitration, which is nice. You know, there's nothing wrong with locking a guy up, avoiding that awkward process, and you know, by major league standards, that's not really a significant expenditure. Um, but yeah, it's. A weird one. It's a weird one when you know that Alvarez is bubbling up, ready to come up soon, and it's even weirder when then when they then went out and signed Omar Narvaez, right? Who is uh, still on the IL as well. Um, and as we talked about last week, the Mets. I think we talked about it, or it might have happened right after we recorded last week. The Mets signed Gary Sanchez to a minor league deal, and here's where things get tricky. We also mentioned that Michael Perez is. Um, currently the backup catcher on the roster while Nita was on the IL. So if uh, we believe there's some discrepancy of, of whether there has to be, uh, whether Sanchez has to be added to the 40-man roster by tomorrow or called up to the major league team by tomorrow, or he can opt out of his contract. So I think in the short term, what you're going to see is you're going to see Gary Sanchez called up to the major league roster tomorrow and Perez optioned. Because that really doesn't, to me, that makes a lot of sense. You can try Sanchez out for a couple of days. If it doesn't work out, all you do is, uh, you know, if, if Nito is that close to being back, then you just see how this goes and you see what happens with Nito. And if it's a disaster, you start Alvarez for most of those games and you bring Nito back and you release Gary Sanchez. And that's, you know, no harm, no foul. However, if Sanchez comes up and is good, or at least, fills a role on this team that is <clears throat> that is 
as good or better than what Tomas Nito fills, then you're in a weird spot when Nito gets back. And then you're in a weird spot when Narvaez gets back. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of catchers here. Now, the good news is I think that all of them are relative. Well, let me put two of them. I think that Nito and um, Narvaez are going to be relatively tradable players if the Mets have to go down that route. However, I don't know what you're going to get for them, especially with Nito having been so bad this season so far. And, you know, dry eyes or not, player, other teams are going to want to see a player performing before they trade for him. And so I don't know what it's going to take to get either Narvaez or Nito in a position where they are a uh, an, an appealing trade commodity. Same thing with, with Sanchez. I think if Sanchez, you know, comes out and hits three home runs in his first five games for the Mets, that changes things a little bit. But it doesn't change things that much. People know who Gary Sanchez is. He's been playing for long enough. You sort of know who that guy is. And so my this is a very long-winded way around here, Chris, but sort of what would be your plan if you're Billy Epler here? What is your plan with the catching situation for the next, you know, two weeks or a month or two? So, yeah, I would, I'd agree, uh, you know, even if it is just that he has to be added to the 40-man roster, which was the way that Tacoma wrote it, but um, not something that's like published officially anywhere. I mean, you know, Mets.com is as official as it gets, but <laughs> there was no press release that was like, here's the exact opt-out details of this minor league deal, um, you know, officially announcing the exact stipulation. But I, I would definitely call him up, make him your uh, your, your backup to Alvarez. Um, you know, I think people may not realize that uh, there's definitely still some power in his bat, but if anything, his bat has declined a bit over the last couple of years, but his defense is not a significant liability. Uh, obviously, that was sort of his infamous trait with the Yankees. Um, but, you know, he was a useful player for the twins last year. Um, you know, he put up like 1.3 F war, which over the course of a full season of play, that's not really that much, but it, it's not nothing. Um, Especially not from a backup catcher. Right. Well, yeah. And, and that would be the role that, that would be really his ceiling <clears throat> with the Mets. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd bring him up and see what he can do. I think he's totally fine to have catch once a week. While Alvarez does, you know, the rest. Um, and it's just, there, there's enough pop in that bat that, that you know, obviously this offense still isn't firing on all cylinders. But coming into the season, we knew what it lacked. Uh, aside from Pete Alonso, there's not significant power. You know, Francisco Lindor might hit 30, 30 home runs this year. And that's not nothing. But there's not a second hitter in the lineup Although Alvarez may sort of blossom into one, he may become that guy. Yeah, yeah, but that there wasn't on opening day a second significant power bat, and I'm not saying that Gary Sanchez is going to solve all of those problems. But um, you know, two things, and I might be repeating myself from last week, but two things: I don't want to hear complaints about beating bad teams anymore, and I certainly don't want to ever hear complaints about too many home runs yep. again, because you know it's. I get if you want to express that a team is maybe too one dimensional and like, all right, everybody's a 300 on base, 
uh, you know, swing for the fences, home run or bust type hitter, top to bottom in a lineup that that has its own issues. You know, you end up with a lot of solo solo home runs. But if Gary Sanchez can be a moderately powerful bat uh, who hits eighth or ninth on the days that he plays, uh, competent backup catcher until Narvaez is back, then that's great. And then there's also a chance that he ends up just being a better power hitter than Vientos or Vogelback or um, Bam. Bam. Yeah. You know, so to get a guy like that for free, um, I, I don't think the probability is high that he could you know, do all of that and, and stick over all those guys. But I do think there's a chance of it and there's, I'd rather find out than, than not. So yep. Uh, you know, and then look, if Nito is truly ready um, and, and you exhaust the time on his rehab assignment, then then you have a decision to make. You know, I mean, you, you, you could DFA him if you had to. Um, you could DFA one of the other guys and, and carry three catchers for a little bit. I don't, that's really not what I would want to see them do. No. Um, especially since they're already down on defensive versatility with Guillaume and Syracuse. But um, you'd have some options there. And then, of course, I I hope all the guys ahead of Nito on the depth chart stay healthy, but you never know. You know, catching is a tough gig. Um, Absolutely. uh, Honestly, it is impressive that catchers at the major league level stay as healthy as they do. Yeah. Uh, if I were to, and granted, I am far from a professional athlete and I am now older than all these guys by like 10 years on average, <laughs> although a little less than that for the Mets. Uh, if I were to, if I were to do what a catcher does in a game, in a pickup game across the street for like one game, I would probably be sore for like a month. Yep. <laughs> it, it, so it's remarkable that I know that they they do this day in, day out and it's just second nature to them. But to take a beating on foul tips, you know, back swings that hit the back of your head, uh, you know, plays at the plate where there might, even if it's not a full-on collision, there might be some contact. Um, they are remarkably durable. But you never know. Uh, something could happen to either one of them or somebody else on the roster, and and then it decides itself. But, uh, yeah, the, the ideal scenario in the end is Alvarez starter Narvaez backup. Yeah. And having too many players at a position is a nice problem to have. But to be perfectly clear, there is no fucking way that they can send Alvarez back to Syracuse. No, but I think they're going to. God, that that, that would be... That would not make me happy. Here's what they're going to say. What they're going to say is that he was great for the time that he was up here, but they're going to point to his early struggles and to the he still needs consistency. Even if he found consistency since a date we can randomly, let's say it's today, right? They're still going to say he was inconsistent until this point. They're going to send him back down because they're not going to want to eat the salary of of either Nito or Narvaez. Um, I, I think they'd eat Nito, Nito's salary. You, you think so? Yeah, I mean, I think they don't want to lose him, but I don't know. I, I, I'm i preparing for them to do that, but I think it would just be 
stupid. Like, oh, it's a dumb idea. It is know. undoubtedly a dumb idea. His first four games, he looked a little, uh, you know, challenged at the major league level, and then since then, he's had like a one, I don't know, one twenty five, one thirty, WRC plus. Um, you know, he's been hitting home runs, not not as often as like Pete Alonso, um, who, by the way, we somehow even haven't even really talked about, but he. <laughs> <laughs> He's just reclaimed the major league lead in home runs, and uh, he's driven in 37 runs already this year. Um, you know, we, it's weird to sort of take him for granted um, when he's doing what he's been doing uh, yes. lately. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I it's just one of those uh, like they sure as hell can't option him for Sanchez. That like that that can't Oh no 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 you know but option Perez for Sanchez and then see what happens and yeah I don't know but if Alvarez is back in Syracuse that that sends the wrong message uh you know I think Vientos getting sent back down there if he's not totally tearing the cover off the ball I think that's fine you know in in a week or two but I will I will rant if they do to Alvarez. Yeah, uh, I hope I'm wrong about this. It just seems to what they're gonna say is that there's no harm in sending him down. That's what they're gonna say, right? Other than reducing the odds that the Mets win baseball games. You and I both know this, <laughs> um, but you know you understand what I'm saying here. Just, oh yeah, yeah, no, you're not Billy Epler, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's fine. I, I I think, and honestly, if he's sent down for a month, is that the end of the world? Not necessarily. It's not what I want, and uh, that's that. That is what it is. Ugh, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Anyway, we, we're we're rambling here, so let's let's get to the music picks, Chris. What what do you <laughs> what are you listening to this week? Uh, so. I had the pleasure of seeing a guitarist named Yasmin Williams play um, last weekend. And she plays just finger-picking instrumental guitar. Um, she plays a good chunk of it with the guitar, like, like flat on her lap. Uh, not really like in the same style at all as uh, what you may have seen from people who either play like an actual lap steel or play a guitar like a lap steel. With with the slide and all that, I mean Ben Harper was was my pick on the uh, last week's episode, I think. Um, you know, and has played a ton of guitar with like the guitar laying flat. Uh, two weeks ago, okay, two weeks ago. So, you know, it's um, it's similar in terms of the position of the guitar, but a very different style of playing it. Um, and, and you know, she plays it in the traditional way. Uh, a little bit as well. Uh, it was kind of fascinating to me. Somewhere around the twelfth fret, she had like a fret removed. I actually meant to ask, like, why? Um, you know, you just saw like the sort of the front of the neck that you would never see on a guitar with like mm-hmm. one fret out, right? Um, and I, I'm not sure why. Uh, topic to research and discover later. But anyway, uh, the record that. Uh, you know, that we bought at the end of the show. It's called Urban Driftwood. Um, 
it's got a song called Juvenescence on it that's by far her most played song on Spotify. Uh, and it, it, it's a damn good one. But uh, just really nice start to finish. I don't think I've recommended any William Tyler records on the show. Um, but if you're familiar with his work at all, and he's open for several artists uh, who who have come up in our music discussions on this show, he's also a you know instrumental guitarist. Um, the two of them actually played a show together in not at Lincoln Center, but somewhere near Lincoln oh, cool. Center. I, I think um, a couple of months ago, I didn't catch that one, but um, definitely a lot of similarity. So if he's an artist that you're familiar with. Uh, I think she's one that you would also like. And her backstory of how she got into playing guitar is both very cool and makes me feel old. Um, she <laughs> she she um, got Guitar Hero, uh, you know, for whatever console when she was 11 years old and, like, just was obsessed with, you know, beating everything and Guitar Hero and actually started to, uh, like, do better at the game by putting the guitar flat on her lap and, and, you know, strumming on the little strummer controller part there and hitting the buttons that way. Um, <laughs> so that sort of, you know, lent itself to getting a real guitar and, and then, um, you know, just incredible to, uh, to see, you know, she's, I think she's only like 26. Um, you know, when you see people at that age who are that skilled, um, it's always impressive. So yeah, check it out. Definitely a good record for this time of year or two. Um, you know, we've had lots of nice weather pollen aside, uh, in the Northeast lately. So, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning type record, uh, I think is perfect for that. So again, urban driftwood, Yasmin Williams. That sounds really nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, so, uh, I have been playing some music with uh, some friends of mine who uh, were all men of a certain age, and we have, we have decided that we want to do a, a cover band just for fun, like play out some local places of like '90s alternative rock. It's the stuff we all grew up listening to, and uh, so because of that, I have been listening to a lot of that stuff, uh, both to like prepare to play with this band, but also just you, you know, somebody said we should do. She don't use jelly by the flaming lips and that sent me out of flaming lips uh you know uh tear and you know that's happened with a bunch of bands but i do want to talk about the flaming lips today but specifically i want to talk about their um 1995 record clouds taste metallic this is uh my favorite flaming lips album it is the last flaming lips album to feature ronald jones on guitar he only is on two records i believe this and transmissions from the satellite heart um but this is sort of before the flaming lips go i mean they're very psychedelic in this era but they're very psychedelic within their like two guitars bass and drums configuration there are some keyboards yes but it's not like when they would do stuff like the soft bulletin or yoshimi battles the pink robots they would there's a lot more orchestration and a lot more just sort of bombast to what they did it was a much bigger band a much more um sort of impossible to recreate with just four people on stage experience but this is sort of the end of their life as a four-piece band and and being able to pull that stuff off effectively this to me is the sweet spot of their songwriting where there are the hooks 
that would be there on the soft bulletin and Yoshimi, but it's still a little bit more garagey, a little bit uh, dirtier, a little bit less produced. Uh, specifically, I, my two favorite songs in this record are Evil Will Prevail, which is just a beautiful, beautiful song that sounds incredible when the, the, at the end of that song, when the drums come in and everything kind of gets big and loud. It's my I think my favorite Flaming Lips moment ever. Um, and then there's also the song of this year, Giraffe, which is just uh, catchy as hell. And just this is when their songcraft to me is, is at its best. Um, I do want to say that it seems like Wayne Coyne might be a piece of shit. Uh, not in like the ways that a lot of other musicians are pieces of shit, but he seems to dismiss band members pretty frequently without much cause. I know he got into some hot water a couple of years ago for appropriating uh, a native headdress and did not handle that with a plum. And he just seems like, I don't mean a weirdo in a fun way. Like I'm a weirdo in a fun way. I hope, I hope I'm fun. Um, but like, he seems I, like, I think you're fun. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. <laughs> he, he seems like he might be a dickhead. Right. And, and that, that makes me sad. I don't like that. But I don't have any real evidence of that. It's just the vibe I get from him. But this is long before anything that he was doing, I think, would be considered dickheady. So hopefully the statute of limitations is on my side with this. Um, but yeah, if you only know the Flaming Lips from like Do You Realize or Race for the Prize or Waiting for Superman or whatever, check out Cloud Stays Metallic. It's it's really fun. And um, yeah, especially it's Evil Will Prevail. If you don't like that song, I don't know what to do with you. Sorry. But uh, that does it for our show this week. Thank you, Mets, for winning some games. Thank you, folks, for listening. Go to patreon.com slash homer and applesauce to support this podcast directly. Uh, go to twitter.com slash Chris McShane or slash Brian Nizanap to follow Chris or I on Twitter. And until next time, let's go Mets. <laughs>